A special announcement, ladies and gentlemen, we are now operating a YouTube channel featuring clips from Spencer Walsh Radio Network programming, including Newsflash. We have some new videos up on there, so go check it out. Only has four subscribers right now. Not very good. The link for this is in the description. So if you want to go and you want to come in and boost that channel up, check out some content from SWN and curate it the best. Maybe you just want to get some of the best top clips, then subscribe to the YouTube channel. It's Spencer Walsh. The link uh, to it will be in the description. Hello, everyone. We have a great show for you today. We are talking about a whole host of very interesting things, including the latest, the state of play. What is going on with the coronavirus, including pressures to reopen? What is going on? Why aren't we reopening yet? We will tell you. And a special shout out to all those people out there with those incredible protests. Um, And we'll take a look at why those protests are happening. We'll take a look at some of the most interesting moments from them and who is behind them and there is some uh somewhat sinister i should say people behind them also we're going to take a look at donna shalala what she's doing and um and why she's in the news for a very very bad reason continuing really the rot of the democratic party um yeah and also, I do want to f- further delve into this AOC primary challenge thing just generally. So we'll be doing that as well. It is a great show for you here today on our Monday episode, our Sunday episode. Let's get right into it. So we start with uh, latest on this coronavirus here. So across the country, governors are finding themselves caught between increasingly competitive pressures. Several said on Sunday as they balance maintaining restrictions meant to curb the spread of the coronavirus against growing frustration with the restrictions and economic anguish that they cause. Uh, in Maryland and Virginia, the governors said stay-home orders would have to remain in effect until those states begin to see decreases in numbers of COVID-19 cases. Elsewhere in the nation, state officials said they would need to conduct far more testing before easing restrictions and continue facing shortages of supp- supplies and testing kits. So this is, I mean, this is something that is um, a very disturbing pressure. It's a very scary pressure, and it's, just, it's, it's something being pushed by really some of those powerful people. It's not just the people who are <laughs> one of the really some of the things that these pictures should go in history books. They should be saved in a time capsule. Um, those that are coming out right now. Um, that picture of all the people in the in front of the state house in Michigan that came out and the incredible shot of a woman holding a milkshake uh, outside of Baskin Robbins uh, somewhere, also holding a sign that says give me liberty or give me death so pretty much what they're doing is they're going out there risking their lives and risking the lives of their families um and all the people they know they're all the people they may come in contact with uh just to protest the right to to stuff your face at a crappy american fast food restaurant like that is that is the the protest there and i really this is really some of the most fascinating pictures that have come out of this stuff and the guy, like, literally almost getting into tears about, like, how, um, oh, I can't get the lawn fertilizer that I need, whatever. Um, and it, it just, it just shows you what, what the motivations are here, what the pressures are. And it's very, very disturbing. Because this, if you look at this, it's very similar to the Tea Party. I've seen a lot of comparisons about that. Because really what's going on is they're activating, um, some of the most, 
Like the, these people, they're serving their own interests, obviously, to go get that, go get that lawn fertilizer, go get that milkshake from Baskin Robbins, stuff your face with that disgusting America. Get it in my, I'm serving America by eating at McDonald's. That's how. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve America, save America by eating at McDonald's. That's how I. That's how I to respect and love my country by ordering 50 Big Macs all at once and shoving them down my face to to say to own the libs. I mean, it's, it's, this is literally the peak of the own the libs joke, right? Like the the idea of catching coronavirus, putting yourself out there, putting your family out there to own the libs uh, and expose them to a lethal disease. Um, but yeah, it really is something that governors, I give them credit, they're trying to push back on as much as they possibly can, saying, quote, we are fighting a biological war. Um, he added the governors have been forced to fight the war without supplies we need because President Trump is just not providing them. On Sunday, he announced the administration was preparing to use the Defense Production Act to compel one U.S. facility to increase production of test swabs by over 20 million per month. Like, uh, it's, it's taking you long enough. I remember we were literally doing shows about this, like, two, three weeks ago, pushing him for the de- use of the Defense Production Act. And this is literally when he's just starting to stir in the right direction of possibly thinking about using it here. Um, yeah, so the announcement came during his Sunday evening news conference as he defended his response amid criticism from governors across the country claiming that there was an insufficient amount of testing to reopen the economy anytime soon. We are calling on the Defense Production Act. Trump said, we will be getting swabs very easily. Swabs are easy. Ventilators are hard. Public health experts have said testing would need to be at least double or even triple to begin begin considering even a partial reopening of the country's economy. And business leaders reiterated the message in a conference call with Trump last week. And I think this is going to be very interesting because we see these different uh, business leaders who are really weighing the economic benefits of it here saying like do we need is it bad to have a population where like one to two percent of the population of this country uh, is going to die or do we just really no matter what need to uh, start the engines of the economy again is it like do we keep the do we keep the consumer alive here or do we keep pushing like what how does this um uh how does this manifest like what what is the cost benefit analysis here we're gonna we're gonna have to do a cost benefit analysis on people's lives we even have liberal democratic governors uh like andrew cuomo in new york describing people's lives versus making money as the yin and the yang like there is a incredible amount of just like not seeing and i i really feel like we are having to just fight off that same fear that just keeps coming back that keeps pushing up and I think it's really, as we, we will talk about later in the show, it's still being pushed by uh, some of the most powerful people in the world who have these economic interests and economic incentives to deal with this. And really, they they want to see the country back open because it benefits them financially. Um, and of course, everyone wants to see the country back open, but it comes at this, the, uh, the, the price of people's lives. Is that price worth it? Like, I mean, it's it's very disturbing. Like, how do we effectively fight against this? How do we push against this? If this will, if there is some giant push to get people to go back to work well before it is ready, and what is the effect of all these people, these relatively small um, coronavirus protests that have been cropping up over the country? Like, how is this going to affect, is this going to surge hotspots? Like, there's so many people who have just really showed their asses here. Um, it, it's It's really kind of hard to count, but... 
Um, governors really, they're still here insisting that testing is being hamstrung by shortages. Uh, Ralph Northam, a Democrat, said that Virginia lacked the swabs needed for tests. Um, and Governor Gretchen Whitman of, Whitmer of Michigan, another Democrat, said her state could handle double or triple the current number of tests if we had the swabs or regents. Uh, and Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland said that it was absolutely false to claim the governors were not acting aggressively enough to pursue uh, as much testing as possible because they're really fighting on the line here. And President Trump, he has the incentive of uh, maybe dragging feet a little bit, slowing down the numbers, slowing down the progression of this disease, and maybe trying to make the curve, um, maybe trying to make things just like almost uh, appear as best and under control as they can. We see now New York hitting a plateau um and maybe even on the downside of that plateau in certain areas but it's very hard to say um what what will happen with the rest of the country and what will happen in terms of travel from different parts of the country the other parts of the country and these social restrictions that are being lifted we've already seen in some countries cases spike back up so it's very very tough to see um uh, Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland said that it was absolutely false to claim the governors are not acting enough. Uh, Deborah Burks, the coronavirus response coordinator for the White House, also pushed back against criticism that not enough people were being tested, saying that every community required high level, uh, not every community required high levels of testing, and tens of thousands of test results were probably not being reported. Uh, she said the government was trying to predict the community by um, community community by community the testing that is needed. Uh, each will have different testing need, and that is what we are calculating now. So, and I, I really just, I mean, there are people like, out there, like, the tests are obviously, this, the results are not happening there. I think it's very, very clear the results that need to be produced are not happening. And what I really don't get is all these people who are just yelling at the liberal Democrats and all these crazy, corrupt WHO health officials that are stopping me from getting my McDonald's pizza or my McDonald's burger or my Baskin-Robbins treats. I want my treats! Like... <laughs> like i don't get why they don't turn their anger to the person who's literally making the doing managing this so ineffectively um that we see this having to close for such a long time like and we are so far ahead of everyone else that is who they should be turning their anger on not the people who literally have no motivate motivation just but just to keep you safe here like this is like i don't think they are trying to uh hamper president trump but it is quite crazy. I'm just before I started the show, I, t I pulled up an interview, uh, or not an interview, but a TV show. I didn't pull it up, actually. It was an ad that popped up. Uh, it was a conservative TV show for one of the associates of Ben Shapiro uh, on the website, The Daily Wire. Uh, and literally the title was, quote, um, It's Time for Civil Disobedience. So it, it, that kind of shows you where they're at. And obviously Daily Wire is probably funded by a million, or not a million, but is heavily funded by right-wing groups, uh, a bunch of people pushing for uh, the economy to reopen, the, those stonks to go up. Uh, it is a really, like, like that. that's, I, I think we have to be honest, like those are the motives that they're pushing there. Those are the people who they are serving. Um, yeah. So I think that's that's very very prescient and very very important to uh, ignore, uh, and it's important to not ignore. And apparently, the reason for social, uh, the reason why it's, uh, it's time for civil disobedience here, to put many many people's lives at risk who should not necessarily be at risk, because all those people who are like, well, well, the death totals, people have been revising down the death totals. Well, 
why do you think that is? Like, it's because social distance, uh, sure, I mean, maybe they, they estimated too high, but I think a large part of it is the effectiveness of social distancing measures. Like, we've seen that work everywhere else. And the, the big reason why this guy, who is a member of the Daily Wire, uh, he wanted to end uh, or start start going out in civil disobedience is just because you had to wear a mask in order to walk down the street. Like, if you leave your apartment, you, ha- you have to wear a mask. And that's really been put up everywhere. And I really highly doubt... Uh, people are, he said a Beverly Hills example, and I really highly doubt that people are going to be stopping uh, famous actors for for that. But anyway, um, and it just shows you. I see these things. And I'm just like, okay. First of all, I don't want to. I I just don't know what to believe here. I just do not know what to believe. I don't know what's going to happen. It's very very scary. Um, and but I do want to fully like before. I don't. I don't want to like, go along in thinking that one side is unquestionably unfailingly right. Like. Are there problems? Are there misreportings? Are there people who are making mistakes? Why are they making those mistakes? I just haven't really been able to find a clear answer on that yet because it's, it's very, very infuriating to find right, trusting information. So I'm definitely going to be on the lookout for that because pretty much the question that I have is here. I know social distancing is, is very important. Obviously, I am going to do it. You should too. But um, And I think all these people protesting, all these people getting out in the streets and doing all these these kind of stupid things, like I just – was kind of jaw dropped about the incredibleness of this the the Baskin Robbins lady photo, uh, which I highly recommend you look for uh, and check out today. Um, but I want to just like like the idea that I I just don't want to really get the sense you know like listen to anybody like completely. I want to have a full side perspective, and I fully want to be able to say that this stuff that they're saying here about how the fact that like, oh they're miscalculating they're they're putting their doomsday numbers down like is that true is that false um like have the projections been uh dropped down which i've, I've looked up they have been dropped down um although not with much media fanfare but i want to know like why that is and i encourage you if you have any questions do some dig in that but look for these reliable websites look be very careful use those researching skills that you know um, so well. so And I know that's what I'm going to be doing here for you over... Because as we continue to find more information out about this, it, it's it's something that's it's very, very hard to find information about because uh, you have a lot of things being talked about for the coronavirus, like what to do while you're at home, everything up to like watching that Michael Jordan documentary, right? Uh, but you, it's very, very hard to get answers to those kind of questions where like you're you you can't really go to Breitbart but you can't really go to the New York Times because it's not a narrative that really satisfies either um uh kind of point of view and that's kind of a question I have that no one's really been able to answer like no one's really been able to answer and I get the sense it's more like um social distancing has happened but like I just don't want to come out and like like defend people who don't deserve defend defending right now but i just have not been able to see any evidence of any kind whatsoever that there is truth to anything they're saying and a lot of stuff they're doing here is it's incredibly dangerous for all the reason that all these non-biased doctors have said um but i just want to know uh, like I just I, I kind of want to say understands the other side's argument and how to rebut it a little bit better and the fact that i don't is making me uncomfortable if, if that makes any sense i hope i'm hope i'm making sense here um all right let's let's talk about some of the other things that have been going on here uh, peter navarro the hawkish white house trade advisor accused china on sunday of profiting 
off of the coronavirus pandemic by hoarding global supplies of personal and protective equipment and selling them at exorbitant prices around the world. President Trump has put Navarro, the author of Death by China, uh, in charge of streamlining America's medical supply chain as the federal government works to distribute masks, medicines, and ventilators across the country. The comments made on Fox Business Network represent the latest escalation in the Trump administration's efforts to publicly blame China for the health crisis that have caused thousands of deaths and is crippling the world economy. And that's where I'm really conflicted about this, because the whole idea is... Oh, blaming China. That's something that we shouldn't do. It's like calling them, calling the coronavirus the Chinese virus. But, like, I think there is, like, I think you have to look at this logically. And there's this whole idea of just because Trump says something is good doesn't mean it's necessarily bad or vice versa. I think that's, like, it's a dangerous pattern you can fall into. And it leads you to, I think, a lot of wrong assertions like there there has been times that Trump has been right like there's been times for example um what we saw with some of the things he's, he's done in Syria like pulling troops out of Syria he was hit hard for that but then he just bombed I, I don't know I don't want to give Trump too much credit here but like there's times where there's something I guess you could say in the middle maybe there's a third position I think this is a great example of there's a third position here um or and and I think the third position, the kind of position that I have, is it's probably close to the Trump. Like, I think there is a lot of um, responsibility that China has. I think their numbers are definitely false. Like, I think there's no denying that. Some of the stuff they put out there is it's definitely false. But, and, and there is blame to go around for China on the way they've handled this. And America has, through very bad leadership, um, let China... Um, gobble up so much of its supply chain but i think blaming literally blaming china for this though is like i think it's very important to realize that like china just didn't convince us they didn't like put like put a little magic like trick in our drink or something like that to to be like we are sending these jobs over here because no but because we have a economy brought off by manufacturing brought up by corporations we let them do it we sent we sent these jobs we sent this money all overseas all in favor of all in the service of capitalism and keeping that gaping the gaping maw as it's sometimes referred to keeping that wide open and shoveling as much money into it as humanly possible just having to having it gobbled up and right now it's the same like really what i just picture is just like this big monstrous blue whale type creature with a big wide mouth huge dagger-like teeth and right now that mouth is for the large part shut there's a bunch of people uh including the protesters including the people who are backing the protesters including a bunch of uh, powerful people they're trying desperately to push that mouth back open and let the money flow let the let the products flow let the capital throw flow through the um the the big sea creature again i guess you could say it's just Always swimming, always swimming at the same pace, never stopping, and keep everything is everything is flowing through it. It's always gaping mouth, uh, I guess is how I would put it. But I, I I just don't think that if you come in and you blame China, like that's I think that's missing a lot of things that we've done wrong. That's missing a lot of things that we've done wrong, and I think that's a, just another way to shift responsibility. But on the same. On the same thing, on the same token, on the other side, on the, on the other hand, on the other hand, by that same point, 
China has done a lot of stuff wrong. So you can see, I mean, I'm incredibly conflicted here. I just don't know exactly. I know that China has done stuff wrong. I know they probably lied about their numbers. I know that they were awful in containing the virus. They tried to cover it up. But for example, Trump literally called it a hoax. Like he has time and time again downplayed this into like ways that should be unforgivable for any other president. We have continued to let jobs go overseas to China, even during the Trump presidency. But it's really it's, it's a pro- problem of that that same thing. Like we don't blame China for we shouldn't blame China for our jobs going overseas. That's a problem for us, and that's a problem presented by the fact that our politics is brought off uh, are bought off by global industry, and there's no like no mediating influence on. Um, on those very, very powerful interests anymore. So, yeah. Uh, it's saying China is sitting on a hoard, that hoard of PPE where it's cornered the market and it's profiteering, says Navarro. I have cases coming across my desk where 50 cent masks are made in China and are being sold to hospitals in America for as much as $8. Navarro also attempted to stir allegations that China lied about the origins of the coronavirus, which was discovered in Wuhan in December. Health experts have said the virus likely jumped from an animal to a human in a market, but he stoked speculation on Saturday, the virus actually originated from, from a laboratory, which is starting to buy that. Though, that claim, though, it's, it's starting to make more and more sense because there is a, a lab in the Wuhan area that it has an incredibly poor sa- like health and safety rating uh, where they're discovering bat vi- bat based viruses. So, like, it's, it's not a crazy idea. I, mean, I still obviously you need more evidence, um, but. It is, it is really uh, very disturbing to see this kind of like this push by both our government and really by if this, some of these allegations are true that Navarro is making by the Chinese government to just shift responsibility back and forth, back and forth away from each other. Because America, the, they have a lot of blame, stuff to blame for it, and I think it's just so laughable that we assert blame on China for the stuff that our supply chains, our jobs, they're leaving. Like, no, we did that. China did not do that. We did that. It's a very, very important thing to realize um, for the future. We'll talk more about this, this capitalist hunger uh, through a blog post by Discourse.blog's Jack Merkinson next. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot thank you enough for listening to programming from the Spencer Walsh Radio Network. It really means a lot. So if you like what you're hearing, please consider supporting us by checking out our merch store available on speaker.com slash TSWS. The link for it is there. Also, if you like what you're hearing, feel free to leave us a review on wherever or however you listen. You can do it on Spreaker by leaving a positive comment and, of course, on iTunes by rating and reviewing us five stars and on whatever possible program or site that you listen to SWRN on, leave a nice review, leave a good comment, let us know your feedback. And also, if it's negative too, I always welcome constructive feedback. Thank you so much for listening. And now, let's get back to your show. It's Newsflash, and we are talking about a lot of fun stuff today on the show. We'll talk about the capitalist machine feeding the resistance to the coronavirus. We'll talk about that big gaping sea creature wanting more all the time. We'll talk about Donna Shalala. She's been selected to this bailout oversight panel. 
and why that is just a mockery of the whole process. And we'll delve a little bit deeper into this AOC situation. That is what we have coming up on Newsflash. So on Thursday, you may know Donald Trump, he... This is, again, reporting here from Jack Merkinson. Uh, reportedly told governors that states with beautifully low numbers of coronavirus cases should open up and get back to work. Also on Thursday, the White House released its blueprint for how it thinks uh, states can start, start ditching shelter-in-place orders as early as May 1st. Axios uh, reports that Republican-led states like Alabama and Mississippi could move very quickly to open their states. Also on Thursday, Dr. Phil went on Fox News to say, among other things, 360,000 people a year die from swimming pools. But we don't shut the economy down from that. Get we're doing it for this. Um, uh, 360,000 people, in fact, do not die a, uh, each year from swimming pools, believe it or not. Um, but it is it just literally he got it wrong. Um, it's 3,000 people, not 360,000. Uh, so that's an important thing to to realize. But here is some stuff about this. This is again a guy who has no medical credentials talking about this. More than ninety percent of Americans are still let's just, let's get a little bit of a taste here. That might Psychologist, author, and host of Doctor Phil. Doctor Phil, thanks so much for being on with us. Um, I think this this isn't part of the calculation um, of you know the, the bending the curve and all of those graphs that we see and they're they're very interesting. I'm not saying they're not important, but those comments aren't taken into consideration when we look at those graphs. Well, Laura, they never are. And thank you for having me on. And thank you for giving a voice to this because it's so very important. This is invisible. I can't show you an X-ray of depression. I can't show you an X-ray of anxiety. But the fact of the matter is, the longer this lockdown goes on, the more vulnerable people get. And it's like there's a tipping point. There's a point at which people start having enough problems in lockdown that it will actually create more destruction and actually more death across time than the actual virus will itself. 250 people a year die from poverty. And the poverty line is getting such that more and more people are going to fall below that because the economy is crashing around us. And they're doing that because people are dying from the coronavirus. I get that. But look, the fact of the matter is we have people dying. 45,000 people a year die from automobile accidents, 480,000 from cigarettes, 360,000 a year from swimming pools. But we don't shut the country down for that. But yet we're doing it for this. And the fallout is going to last for years because people's lives are being destroyed yeah so that's that talk about that and, and again it's something that i think my really biggest motivation about this is like what it has been um is that like this is going, going to hurt so many people and it's something that's really really uncomfortable you want to see the people go back to work but also like you got to remind yourself that there is ways to handle this effectively there there is ways to handle this effectively um, on Thursday, Las Vegas Mayor Carol Goodman growls that her city is shut down. Uh, we don't want to lose anybody, but it's part of life. And I also want people back to work. Uh, also on Thursday, 4,591 people in America died from the coronavirus, an increase of more than 2,000 from the day before. You think that last fact would have some impact on all those people? 
But instead, it seems that the ever-increasing calls for COVID-19 deaths in this country, uh, and that's really what they are. They're, they're, it's, it's a call for death. It's literally what it is. Anyone who says, opening up the economy, you are calling for death. You're calling for people to die. It, it's just that simple. It is just that simple. Um, and there's a, a bunch of things that are, like, it's, it's, a, it's not like it's a good situation, even if you stay the way it is, like, if you keep it the way it is, you, now with the social distancing, it's it's not a good situation, not a desirable situation, but you're calling for safety, and you're calling for people to save lives, that's the way it stands right now, I'm sorry, it's, it's just the way it is, um, yeah, it's the really the Goodman's quote that really sticks out, uh, the mayor of Las Vegas, Ka- Carolyn Goodman, says, we don't want to lose anybody, but it's part of life, and so I want people back to work. It's summed up, it's really summed up perfectly. Work over life, work over everything. People dying at astronomical rates when they could have been saved is just how the world is. It's it's part of life, it happens, it sucks. It really does, but it happens. Um, yeah, unnecessarily mass death is regrettable, but ultimately unimportant. People not working, though, that is hell. So, yeah, like, what is going on here? It is certainly true that the reopening crowd is eager to throw millions of workers into the slaughterhouse because they prioritize the sating of the hungry capitalist beast over anything else. But there is more to it than that, says Jack Bergerson here. We are living in a period when governments everywhere are actually having to take some level of responsibility for their citizens. We have tumbled into a time where a staggering amount of solidarity is required of everyone, where we must put the greater good over our own happiness or comfort our political leaders all of a sudden must account for what they're doing to protect people. And all that's happening in a very imperfect, incor- incomplete, corrupt, and dispiriting ways. Uh, and in America, with virtually no intellectual or policy support from our ostensibly left-leaning political party, but is happening in some form nonetheless. These are dangerous concepts to have lying around. Governments caring for people, health over work, everyone looking after each other, heaven forbid. The death cultists want to extinguish whatever spark our current moment might ignite in the world. They want things to go back to the way they are, to our beloved system of grinding inequality, government apathy, and merciless individualism as quickly as possible. Uh, otherwise, people might start getting ideas. I think that's a great point. People people might start getting ideas. They may say that we don't want to go back because the life before that was not good either. People were still like dying of de- diseases of despair, didn't have access to health care. Like, life wasn't good. And this system was a big reason why the coronavirus was able to happen so easily and really wrap through our country in the way it was. And there was a whole group of people, very powerful group of people, and very crazy, death cultish group of people calling for that system to go come back unabated and uninterrupted. Um, yeah, this is the... Let's take a look at some of the, these right-wing groups here. As a wave of planned anti-lockdown demonstrations that have broken out across the country to protest against the efforts of state governments to combat the coronavirus pandemic with business closures and stay-at-home orders have included far-right groups as well as more mainstream Republicans, while protesters in Michigan, Ohio, and Kentucky and other states claim to speak for ordinary citizens. Many are also supported by street-fighting right-wing groups like the Proud Boys, conservative armed militia groups, religious fundamentalists, and anti-vaccination groups, as well as other elements of the radical right. On Wednesday in Lansing, Michigan, um, it's 
um, it put a protest a, a protest put together by two Republican connected not for profits was explicitly devised to cause gridlock in the city and for time blocked entrance to the local hospital is crazy. Um, this this is organized this Lansing, Michigan protest. Um, was explicitly devised to block at for a time it blocked entrance to hospitals. That's just un- I'm sorry, that is unforgivable. If you want to go on the streets, that's one thing. But if you actually want to come out and um, legitimately put people's lives in danger that you don't even know, that is just unforgivable stuff. Like those people should be just taken out of the way. Uh, in and I don't mean like physically hurt. But they should just be picked up, put put it put in the side, and like the, like just blocking in the hospital during a pandemic should it just not be okay. But this protest was organized by the Michigan Conservative Coalition, a coalition which Michigan state corporate filings show has also operated under the name Michigan Trump Republicans. It was heavily promoted by the Michigan Freedom Fund, a group linked to Trump cabinet member Betsy DeVos. Um. Uh, but the protest for uh, uh, it also attracted a far right protest groups that have been present at pro Trump uh, and gun rights rallies in Michigan throughout the Trump presidency. Placards identified the Michigan Proud Boys as participants in the vehicle um, near the state house. Local radio interviewed a man who inter- identified himself as Phil Odinson. Uh, in fact, the man is named Phil Robinson, the prime mover in a group called the Michigan Liberty Militia whose Facebook page features pictures of firearms, warning of civil war, celebrations of Norse, Norse paganism, and memes ultimately sourced from white nationalist groups. So it shows you there is just a lot of money being put behind this um, here. And the Washington Post has a story about this just as as we're talking. A trio of far-right pro-gun provocateurs is behind some of the largest Facebook groups calling for anti-quarantine protests across the country, offering the latest illustration that some seemingly organic demonstrations are being engineered by a network of conservative activists. Um, and all these groups, these um, kind of amorphous, hard-to-track-down corporate groups with weird names like Michigan Michiganders for for rights or whatever. Like, we, we like good things, Incorporated. Like, those groups, they're most likely being funded by other groups that are not choosing to disclose their funding. And they could be, and I would go out on a limb to say, are groups that are representing massive, powerful business institutions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that so far. Speaking of massive, powerful business institutions, um, guys, there is a bailout panel. Uh, for the past week, we've watched this absurd spectacle take place but this whole bailout panel really uh as david day in here explains on the prospect um where this absurd spectacle happening where money is flying out the door of the federal reserve bailout programs and the only person in a position to conduct oversight has nothing more than a twitter feed barat ramurti ramamurti a former elizabeth warren campaign staffer who david day and interviewed last week was until yesterday the only member of the congressional oversight commission a five-member panel outside of the executive branch um so Trump can't fire anyone associated with it, uh, was charged with monitoring this bailout. Uh, Ramamurti and his tweets have usually 
have been unusually effective getting the Fed to agree to publish all transactions that use public funds and some detailed information, but it's clear that he needs some help. A staff, office, and maybe four of the members on the panel to cover what could reach $4.5 trillion in corporate lending. This guy, is, he's in charge of four point. This one guy, Bharat Ramamurti, a former Elizabeth Warren congressional staff, or a former Elizabeth Warren staffer, is overseeing one of the largest bailout projects, not the largest bailout project we have ever done as a country. Um, we got three new guys yesterday. Uh, Republican leaders in the House and Senate chose nondescript Congressman French Hill of Arkansas, Chamber of Commerce Mole Pat Toomey. Um, and the pick to watch was the House Democratic seat. There was no obligation to choose a sitting member of Congress, uh, but Katie Porter was of actively seeking the job. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Katie Porter, she is a uh, Elizabeth Warren supporting progressive, very strong on banks and economic injustices. She would, I think she would really would have been great for the job and overseeing that. She's she's done, dealt with these high financial crimes uh, in her pre-political career. She was elected in 2018. I think she would have been absolutely great for this job. Um, and she didn't even support that idiot Bernie Sanders who no one would be like. So she would have been maybe suitable to Nancy Pelosi. Um, but Really, uh, she was the only member actively seeking the job with deep experience in financial services and demonstrated aptitude with oversight. There really was no better person, I think, for the job, at least sitting in Congress right now. Um, who did Nancy Pelosi choose? Her friend, freshman congresswoman, Donna Shalala of Florida. Yeah, baby, let's go. <laughs> Donna's got it. She's got it covered, guys. She's got it covered. Um yeah, and this is this could be described as a pretty crazy selection. Um, Shalala, according to sources, had no interest in the job. She has no expertise in the financial industry or the Fed. The two committees that would prepare you for this would arguably be uh, Financial Services Committee and Oversight. Um, uh, Katie Porter sits on both of those committees. Shalala sits on the Education and Labor and Rules um, uh, committees. She's on the Early Childhood... Education Subcommittee, so if that ever comes up in discussing the Fed's corporate bond or high-yield ETF purchases, we are in good shape here. It's looking good. We got this, guys. Uh, she'll, she'll help bail out the, the – she'll help uh, organize the bailout money to big preschool. She'll, she'll get us covered. Yeah, Shalala was the Health and Human Services Secretary, uh, I believe, under Clinton. In her public statement, Pelosi highlights uh, that, saying Shalala will ensure – that the historic coronavirus relief package is being used wisely and efficiently protect, to protect the lives of the American people and will not be ex exploited by profiteers and price gougers. But the oversight panel has nothing to do with the public health aspect of this pandemic. It's supposed to examine the Federal Reserve lending programs and whether they are assisting the public in economic stabilization, stabilization and job recovery. They're supposed to keep an eye on that. It's not going to be about funding hospitals. Like She's just completely misleading a lot of people here with with the public statement and again another piece of evidence is if you needed it at all is that Nancy Pelosi is not on your side here she is not someone who is committed to seeing real change she is someone who actively wants to maintain the status quo uh even during times of international crisis um yeah so it's these these are really these are deliberately complex programs that require the oversight uh, of someone with a passing at least a passing familiarity 
with the financial system and corporate America. The only expertise Shalala has comes from all those many stocks that she owns. Uh, and Shalala's recent financial disclosure, most recent one dated in May 2019, she lists share ownership in an array of companies that may be on the front line for a bailout. She holds shares in Boeing, as well as Alaska Airlines, Spirit Aero Systems, which builds pieces of Boeing aircraft. She owns Chevron, Conoco Phillips, Royal Dutch Shell, and Occidental Petroleum at a time of a historic crash in oil prices. She owns the entertainment stock Paramount, Live Nation, AMC Theaters. Uh, the latter is almost certainly headed to bankruptcy. Um, she owns Choice Hotels. No one's staying in hotels. She owns TripAdvisor. No one's taking trips. She owns retailers and retail producers such as Ralph Lauren, L Brands, Burlington Stores, Five Below. Retail's obviously in a lot of trouble. She's also got Walmart, so she could be okay there. She owns big banks like J.P. Morgan, uh, Chase, Wells Fargo, Bank of New York Mellon, BBVA Compass, and HSBC. She owns between three hundred one thousand and six hundred fifteen thousand in United Health, where she served on the board from two thousand one to two thousand seven during her time of uh, during uh, during part of the time detailed in a twenty seventeen Justice Department complaint accusing. The insurer of overbilling Medicare for over one billion dollars uh, that would reflect a very profiteering and price gouging. Pelosi said it was important for Shalala to scrutinize. I mean, maybe she does have experience. I don't know. But pretty much the point is here to sum this story up: like Nancy Pelosi again proving that she does not care one whit about anything. At least trying to appeal progressive, she puts her friend on there who does not know anything about any of these two over uh, anything about finance at all. To, to put this out there and to uh, b- deal out these bailout funds. It's just an absolutely crazy, stunning, and blatantly offensive move to anyone paying attention to this who wants to see some sort of just Like, this is the taxpayer's money that Nancy Pelosi is handing uh, oversight over to of one of her friends who has a lot of money in stocks. Like, and, and stocks that, like, so, like this, is, this is the... It's, it's it's blowing my mind. I don't have the words to say what how like insanely awful this is because it's just like you should be able to see it for yourself. You really should at this point be able to see it for yourself. Like she owns like Aerios, like half the airline industry. They come to her for a bailout. Like is she gonna say no? Like she's gonna see a, she's gonna be bailing herself out with this. She's gonna be bailing herself out with this. Like these stocks would be going up so much the moment she's like yeah yeah I think we should do a bailout for them. Like this is. Like, Richard Burr, like, this is, how is this any different from what Richard Burr did? Like, how is this any different? I just don't get it. It is absolutely unbelievable. Wow. Uh, Anyway, we only have one more story to talk about. On Wednesday, The Intercept reported that a roster of private equity vultures, C-Suite Ghouls, and Ice Cube's business partner were, in fact, funding the long-shot Democratic primary bid of former CNBC anchor Michelle Caruso Cabrera. We just did a YouTube video about that. Well, she has a shot. James Stanley breaks it down. Uh, Caruso Cabrera has no policy positions whatsoever on her website, and for good reason. She was a tea partier as recently as a decade ago, where she wrote a book called You Know I'm Right, More Prosperity, Less Government. Uh, in the book, Caruso uh, uh, Cabrera calls Medicaid and Social Security the country's biggest pyramid scheme and wrote that she would end both programs in favor of a privatized voucher system. Cabruso, Medicare Caruso Cabrera wrote is another pay-as-you-go Ponzi scheme that should be replaced with a health savings account that gives seniors 1000 
to or two thousand a year to start. Social Security, she notes, should be replaced with a private account system in which Americans are incentivized to invest in the stock market. So just the ghoulish, most most disgusting right wing stuff. Uh, Caruso Cabrera devotes an entire chapter uh, to the many policy successes of the Reagan administration and writes that she favors tax cuts and deregulation, including eliminating entire federal agencies such as the Labor Department. What could go wrong? Uh, this is almost certainly a waste of money. This this infusion of policy. Um, Ocasio-Cortez raised over $5 million in 2019, an off-year, and barring any unforeseen circumstances, shouldn't have any problem winning her primary and re-election. If Wall Street really wants to get rid of her, they may be much better served by lining the pockets of the right New York Democratic legislatures, who will likely control redistricting after this year. Um, but as futile as this exercise seems, it really issues illustrates how desperate capital is to crush dissent. This is a piece here from Paul Blast in the Discourse. Um, it's not that capitalists fear an imminent takeover by the left or have had any reason to do so. The 2020 primary was really the best opportunity the left had to get the, on the ticket since Henry Wallace got kicked off the 1944 Democratic ticket and the project failed, as we know. The Democratic congressional leadership, with little protest from the biggest figures on the American left who admittedly had limited power to stop it, helped Mitch McConnell ram through a corporate bailout that might turn out to be worse than TARP, the simmering class and generational anger that fueled the movement behind Bernie Sanders' 2016 and 2020 runs is still there, but it has lost a certain electoral figurehead who protects a vision for a better country and has uncertain future in the mainstream of American politics. Oh my gosh. Excuse me. That My microphone just cut out there as I was doing the show. Apologize for that. Um, I do not plan to be droning on for too much longer about this anyway, but I mean, it is, I mean, many of these representatives, they have a simple hatred, visceral hatred for Ocasio-Cortez. I don't like the hatred that they had for the people who occupied Zuccotti Park. They view AOC as a protester, really, albeit one who broke through security and somehow found herself on the House Financial Services Committee, where people like Jamie Dimon could not ignore her questions any longer. And that's how Capruso Cabrera was able to pull nearly $1 million in three months from some of the dumbest rich assholes in Manhattan, merely presenting herself Literally, the illusion of a challenge just has all these people just able to throw millions at you. She'll probably get more than a million um, before this campaign is out, but it's really just a great way. It's a great grift. Like, credit to her. It's a great grift um, that she's running here because she's, like, she's just having dumb people funnel money into an almost certainly doomed primary challenge. Uh, all They're just throwing money out the window here, but it really shows you capitalism is intent on crushing dissent. So keep up that dissent, everybody. Hope your quarantine's doing well. We'll see you on Tuesday.